Greetings, everyone on the internet. This is episode nine of Soft Skills Engineering. I am your host, Dave Smith. I'm your other host, Jameson Dance. And today we have a very special guest visiting us whose name is Lane Mosley. Hello there. My name is Lane Mosley. I'm currently a software engineer at Bloombuilt, and uh, we make the day one journaling app for iPhones. And I've been doing software for about seven years, and I really like writing code, and I'm super excited to be on this podcast. Well, we're super excited to have you. So welcome, Lane. Thanks. All right. Uh, today we have two questions to answer, and I'm just going to go ahead and pass it over to Jameson to ask the first one. Sure. As a software developer, is it better to put an aggressive deadline on myself, or should I let it be open-ended? What are the effects of these two approaches on me and my team? I'm surprised there was no mention of whipping and flogging on this one. I mean, deadlines. <laughs> Those are consequences which are different from deadlines. <laughs> oh, That's what okay. happens when you miss the deadline. <laughs> okay. I thought you just whipped people until they met the deadline. Oh, <laughs> like, or just assume they're not going to and, and just start early. <laughs> Isn't that what they did to slaves in like Egypt to build the pyramids? Yeah. It, it clearly worked there, so... <laughs> Yeah, those pyramids are they've lasted longer than than all software startups combined. So that, that's probably true. <laughs> um case in point. All right, so deadlines. What uh should I let it Okay. An aggressive deadline. Like I've heard people say like without a deadline I'll just keep going or actually another phrase I've heard is that software is a gas and it will expand to fill the calendar space that you put it in. Have you guys ever heard that? Yeah, I think that's a variation on a quote about how work will expand to fill the time allotted for it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I've seen mm -hmm. that happen. Like I, that's a real thing with software. <laughs> but there's also this sense that, um, we don't like deadlines because we are, we are like pure craftsmen building these works of art that mm -hmm. can't be rushed. And yeah, there's kind of this balance between pragmatism and, and art and craft that is inherent in this issue of deadlines. I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you, well, have any of you had really bad experiences with deadlines? Oh, I think everyone has had at least one of those. Um, the worst kind of deadline is the one that's really, it's, it's arbitrary and it's totally too soon, you know, and it's like, why, why am I working toward this? It's just really demotivating and, and I, that can happen on one hand. You mean a deadline that uh, is maybe made to try and make you go faster, but it's that there's like no way you can get it done in that time. Is well, that what like, you mean? That would be like one specific example of an arbitrary deadline, but just a deadline that whose whose rationale I cannot understand and no one will tell me. You know, it's like I put this deadline out there and maybe the CEO chose it because he or she just wanted it to be that way. You know, and it's like that to me is the most demotivating kind of deadline. And I think that would actually make me go slower. You know, to know that <laughs> out of like, spite. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, well, maybe. Okay, I think Jameson just taught me something about myself. <laughs> okay. The, the toughest deadlines that I've come across, I think, are is when you know a CEO or somebody shows some partners a slide deck and then says, "Hey, this is done. Check out how cool this is." And then mm. they come back to the engineers <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, hey, by the way." They're expecting this in two weeks. And you're like, what? We haven't even started on that thing. <laughs> oh, man. That is the worst. It's so bad. And meanwhile, you're trying to finish the last uh, arbitrary deadline. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
So to be fair, I have not faced this too much in my career, which thank goodness. Yeah, you're lucky. It's, it's brutal. Uh, so what do you think? Should you put, a, like, let's say you don't necessarily have one of these deadlines. Should you put one on yourself to make yourself go faster? Or should you just say, my beautiful art will be done when the art is done? No one put a deadline on Michelangelo. They probably actually did. <laughs> they I'm going to Google did. the Sistine Chapel <laughs> exactly. right now, and, and I'm sure he had a deadline. Yeah, I mean, there was money involved, so there had to be some kind of deadline. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, money isn't going to last forever, unless you happen to be funding the painting of the Sistine Chapel, in which case, I guess it pretty much would. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, maybe a better question. So we've talked about, clearly there are bad deadlines, right? Like the CEO mm. rolls out of bed, reads the clouds, is like, <laughs> it will make me feel good if I tell them it's going to be done in two weeks. Um, are there ever good deadlines? Definitely. There's, gotta, there's always good deadlines. Um, I, I think so, too, yeah. yeah. What what makes a good deadline, Lane? You sounded pretty pretty adamant about yeah. how they're good ones. Yeah, I I think there are some that um, when all of the engineers uh, have weighed in, not maybe not all of them, but at least a good portion of them, or if you have a really good you know engineering manager that can you know accurately assess the amount of work that's required, and they work you know with the business portion. Um, those are usually pretty good, you know, as long as everyone's weighed into it and, and everyone's bite, bite off on it, then I feel like it's great. And, and that also gives some accountability to the engineering team. You know, they don't feel like it was just like some date picked in the future because that's when we wanted it. It's like, oh, wait, we, this is when we think we can finish this work. So I, I actually work for a company that has... Um, I'd say some pretty important external deadlines. I think there are deadlines about here is when we want to get stuff done because it'll be better to get it done faster, you know? But uh, I work in education and there are very built-in deadlines. The, the semester starts at this date. And if you want your software to be used, it has to be done this amount of months before the semester starts so they can get it ready. Mm. Um, so in my experience, the way deadlines interact in that case is like, there's actually a deadline at this date. There's no more you can do. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more about cutting the scope of the work yeah, to meet yeah. that deadline where like dead is the emphasis on deadline, right? Like you can't, you can't just be late. Like then it's over, you missed it. So, so it's more about managing what gets done in time for that deadline. And that's pretty different for when you're kind of controlling your own product and, and, sure you're using deadlines to schedule and to motivate and, and stuff, but it's not, uh, one, one month later just means your product is out one month later. It doesn't mean you've missed some, some arbitrary period of time. Or you've missed like a one year opportunity because you're one month late Yeah, in, in your yeah. case. Yep. Have you guys ever seen the phenomenon where a deadline gets put in place, the team starts working for it. And as the deadline approaches, the team starts working more and more and like more hours in a day or working more feverishly to meet that deadline. And there's this phenomenon where you just rush and rush and rush and you get it done and it just barely sneaks out. And do you think that's positive or negative? That just seems to me like what human beings do, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. You just, you, you wait until the last minute to do things. I mean, I know a few people that don't do that, that are, you know, they do things up front and that's awesome. But I think generally you don't do that. 
Yeah, that's how I do my taxes and mow my lawn <laughs> and clean my room. And also how I build software. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse. It's the mow my lawn, do my taxes, uh, agile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll tell the IRS. I'm being agile. I'm just waiting till you audit me to do yeah. my taxes. H Haskell calls that lazy evaluation and it's a huge <laughs> language feature. It's great. Yeah. Um Oh, go ahead. I was well, so my, so the, the question then is, without such a deadline, maybe you would not ever push yourself. You know, is that possible? Is that a thing? I think it's a thing. Um, I know a certain type of engineer that they can spin on the same amount of work for a long time. In fact, I know a guy that worked at Intel. I worked for this guy, and he worked at Intel back in the 90s. And back in the 90s, Intel was investigating, you know, some mobile stuff, I think. Super new back then. Anyway, they hired a whole bunch of these PhDs and they designed some software for two years and never wrote any code. Hmm. Because they had no, they had no date in the future. They were just like, go investigate this stuff, right? And, and the engineers were like, that was the best two years of my life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no bugs. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't write code, you don't write bugs, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that happens, you know. That and it, was that was that project basically a failure? Uh, yeah, that's what he told me. He said they they never did anything. They spent millions and millions oh, of dollars, man. and nothing oh, came from it. They just had to write it off at the end. So. Oh man, so bad. So so I think you're saying there's value. There can be value in a forcing function, uh, depending on your team. But uh, like in this case, obviously, a forcing function would have been really nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, to force them to get something into production or something. Um, but at the same time, does it? Do you think uh, having an aggressive deadline can also have other effects on your team, like um, maybe harmful effects, like you rush something out and you accrue a lot of technical debt, and then now you have crappy bugs you have to deal with for the next year? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think you're Reso right. Resounding I yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's there's like this bell curve of deadline aggressiveness and pressure where if there's none at all, you're way at the left end of productivity where you just have nothing except your own inherent motivation. And it's really easy to be distracted at that point by some cool new technology or architecture or just iterate on a product forever mm -hmm. and ever Without, release, without releasing it. Without releasing it, yeah. yeah. And then at the other end, you have crazy unrealistic deadlines that to me are incredibly unmotivating. And there's a sweet spot in the middle where I feel like the work is challenging, but I, I can see a future in which I can accomplish all of the work. Whereas if the deadline is too aggressive, I just am like, uh, there's no way I can do this. Mm. And, and, and I check out a lot so they're both equally demotivating on both ends of that curve is what you're yeah, saying yeah it's probably a lot more fun to be on the left end where there's no deadline but, <laughs> it's more but it might be anyway. <laughs> yeah it's way more relaxing um maybe long term it's demotivating it's way more stressful to be at the other end of high intense pressure but i think you you miss out on a productivity window yeah, in the middle i agree and this is actually why despite the bad press that agile sometimes gets i really like agile or at least the one principle of agile that says we focus on a continuous delivery of software to users and the idea is you 
force yourself to put code in the hands of your users frequently, whether it's on a weekly schedule or maybe you just do it every couple hours or whatever. Um, you're forcing yourself to be production ready all the time, which then automatically puts in place this feedback loop to where you can iterate. Um, whereas if you only do that once a year or with no deadline at all, um, I think that unfortunately human nature will just tend to sit on it, and go to our Intel 90s mobile playground. <laughs> ah, yes. That, uh, that playground. <laughs> uh, I once worked on a product for two years and we, we thought we're going to ship this when we've got it right. And we, we, we literally came full circle on that thing like four times. It just, you mean like changed some feature sets and then ended up with those similar feature sets added back yeah. in? Yeah. I don't know if Jameson, oh, man. I don't know if Jameson knows what I'm talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> this Lane and I work together. <laughs> he probably doesn't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and so, and then, so two years, it never saw the light of day. Is that what you're saying? It did. It eventually did see the light of day. And but only at the end of this four iterations, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And and unfortunately, you know, we, we never figured it out because we never gave it to real people that wanted to use it. Mm. It's bad. And um, I can contrast that to what I do here at day one. We, we ship to our beta users um, at least once a week. And it's like fantastic because we get immediate feedback on what we're doing. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So, so, so it sounds like you're saying, um, the value of having a deadline is it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's more the, the inherent value in having to, in being forced to hand it over to people. Is that kind of your point where, um, it doesn't matter how long you plan for it. Uh, if, as long as you have a date where you say we're, we're going to be done and give it to real people. Maybe I'm misinterpreting what no, you're saying. I think I think that's right because, and I, I just speak from experience. You know, contrasting you know def different experiences that I've had engineering is I've had the experience I mentioned two years and it didn't work out. Whereas here, our deadlines literally are when our beta test group, which is pretty big, when they're pretty happy with it, then we know that it's ready. And so mm -hmm. you know we have you know weekly goals to you know ship it to them. And when they're generally happy, then almost all of our users are happy. We haven't had any time, you know, when that hasn't happened. So, yeah. So I think there, there are kind of two contrasting worlds here. Um, one is where the deadlines all come from within and their, their kind of motivation and goals. And that seems like it happens a lot more in the consumer software space mm. where you own the product, you drive the product, you, you're picking like... Here's what we want to work on, uh, and no one's no one's like clamoring for when it's going to be done. And then there's the other world, which is the enterprise software, or to some extent, giant consumer companies that are beholden to maybe like shareholders or, or things like that, where people are like, "When is this going to be done? I need to know so I can plan to train my users or plan like how the mm -hmm. market's going to react or whatever." Um, so. Dave, you mentioned agile as like you just focus on getting code out and delivering value incrementally. And to me, those two things seem kind of in conflict. Like, yeah, if definitely. you if you focus on iteration and delivering value incrementally, you put less emphasis on big planning and estimating when things are going to be done by because yeah, that's I, not your focus. But that's like, true, and you struggle to communicate that like long term schedule to the rest of the yeah, business. Yeah, but but some people, some customers will be like, "I'm not going to buy your thing if I don't know when stuff is going to happen." Like. 
I, I can't use it then. Like, how do you how do you balance those two things that that conflict between uh, deadlines and schedules and short iteration that focuses less on when stuff is going to be done and focuses more on getting stuff done? So uh, I mean, the way that we do it at my current employment is we uh, even though we ship frequently to production, we actually only commit to customers and the rest of the business on a two-month release cycle. Mm. So we put new code out, but we only advertise new features and make them available like in the UI, for example, uh, every two months. And so we actually sign up at the beginning of the two-month period for the stuff that we will be putting out. And we try never to go beyond two months because that just becomes uh, the lying land where you just are lying about what you think you can actually deliver because it's just too far out. Um, sure. but, but up to two months, we do that. And we actually do commit and we sign up and we say, we will deliver this in the next two months. And that mm. tends to give people enough time to do the things you just talked about. And uh, the other thing about people not willing being, being willing to buy your stuff if you don't tell them when it's coming, I have a hard line. We do not sell stuff that isn't built yet. And so, because um, as soon as you do that, then you get all kinds of bad incentives going on. Those are words yeah. to live by. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about selling stuff that isn't built yet. Like be our customer and in X months we'll have this thing. It's more like uh, you have an existing customer that really wants a feature. They're already, mm-hmm. they're already your customer. You're not selling mm-hmm. them based on this feature, but they need it for some yeah. upgrade or to, to roll it out to a larger and, group. And or they really like want that. to know when, right? Yeah. Like they, they, it's like a giant company and they need to plan mm-hmm. around it. And you yeah, can't just be like, well, in the next week we're going to get this little yeah, bug fix yeah. done as part of our agile sprint. Like, right. I don't no, that doesn't work for them. Stupid yeah. bug fix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when is this giant thing I need going to be done? Um, yeah. And, and for us, we just say it's either going to be done in the next 60 days or sometime thereafter. And, and okay. sometimes they'll pin us down and we'll be like, okay, it'll be this year. You know, yeah. um, but those almost always come back to bite us because the business needs change, you know, yep. in like six months where it's like, well, we wanted to focus on this, but we're beholden to all this stuff we signed up for. So um, that's a case where long term deadlines can just really hurt. So can I sum up what we talked about with deadlines? What I think we talked about? Yeah, please. Do. It feels like uh, both really aggressive deadlines and no deadlines at all can be bad for very different reasons. Really mm-hmm. aggressive deadlines means really high pressure. If it's unrealistic, then you, you just lose all motivation to work on it. I don't think people perform super well under pressure often. And then no deadlines means uh, you can be scared to release stuff and you can also be tempted to just play with cool tech and mm-hmm. solve things that are fun for you to solve instead of actual customer problems. So there's a sweet spot in the middle where you're both motivated to deliver things uh, quickly and focus on what's important to your customers, but you're not demotivated by there being an overwhelming amount of work or something. Is that kind of a summary of what we talked about? Yeah, I think that sounds really good. Cool. Should we move on to the next question? Question answered. Ring the little gavel thing. Dun, dun. (laughs) Do you need a stamp? Answered. Yeah. Yeah. Answered. I can take a bite of my sandwich and that can be our question answered (laughs) noise. (laughs) Take a video of that. Jump, jump. Put it in the release notes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Question two today. I think it's my turn to read. What do all these titles mean? Technical lead, junior software engineer, senior software engineer, engineering director, vice president of engineering, CTO. What is with all the titles? Uh, I want to throw one other title in there, which is His Serene Majesty Archduke of Computering, (laughs) which is my title. 
I don't know what it means. You're the only one that will ever have that title, I think. <laughs> well, that means your title just means Jameson Dance, which is great. It's very, very clear. Yeah. It, it doesn't fit well in the org chart, though. <laughs> yeah. It overflows all the boxes. <laughs> There's just a dotted line that is like way out on the left, and then it points into the company. Um, what do all these titles mean? I think they can mean different things at different companies, actually. Facebook is famous for uh, oh, yes. having a different level of titles. Like, they'll, they'll generally hire people into lower titles than they were at other companies. Uh, what do you mean, hire people? Oh, they will. Like, so if compared you to other are companies. a director of engineering, you might come in and be an Ju- engineer. A junior software engineer. You might come and be <laughs> the coffee gopher or whatever. <laughs> no, but uh, it, it's like... They just mean it means Mm -hmm. more in context, I think, than absolutely. And there is some absolute meaning, but it depends a lot on the company. Yeah, typically uh, at the very tippy top of the um, proverbial pyramid, it at least can identify that. Like a lot of time. Well, actually, that's not even true. I was going to say like there could be a CTO at the top of your engineering organization, and that's usually the top. But it's not like there could be a VP of engineering at the top there. Um, and there could be someone else. There could just be like a, quote, head of engineering or a director of engineering. Like that could all, I don't even know. So yeah, I think from one company to the next, there's just like no standard. Question answered. <laughs> the answer there's is no. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, not all knowledge is relative anyways. So, so you can't know the truth of anything. So, <laughs> so there is There is no reality. I'm sorry. Why are yeah, you even listening to this? <laughs> What you perceive is the subjective reality you experience. Speaking of perception, I believe that there is a generally accepted, perceived, let's say, pecking order to uh, the order of, say, leadership titles. Now, I'm I'm not going to talk about like individual contributor titles, but in the leadership management track, there tends to be uh, things in this order. And I'll just throw them out there and see what you guys think. But it typically starts with like a manager. And then like a department manager, if your company's big enough, and then director, and then VP, and then CTO. Like that's typically the title chain on the management track. Is that similar to what you guys have experienced? I yeah, so. I don't think I've ever worked at a company big enough to have that many <laughs> levels. Yeah. So it seems yeah, like you kind true. of, you like subtract levels in the middle as your company mm-hmm. gets smaller. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, you didn't talk. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say you didn't talk about um, technical lead and senior yeah, senior so, uh, versus normal versus junior and yeah, all that Yeah, so stuff. let's talk about that next. I, I usually see that as a parallel track um, of all like in the individual contributor title. Like I, to me, technical lead is not a stepping stone into management where you're doing salaries and hiring and firing and things like that. So I like to think of those as a completely separate world. But I've also heard the generic team lead Mm-hmm. Or d- developer lead. I guess developer lead is kind of the same as mm-hmm. technical lead. And I heard a reason, uh, recently, a few months ago, I heard a new t- title called ICL, which stands for Individual Contributor Lead. Wait a and minute. It sound, it, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, my, <laughs> like my head just cracked open. Um, so the idea is that you can assign people to have influence in your organization, but not give them management responsibilities. And that would be an individual contributor lead. In other words, they aren't, people don't report to them, but they're responsible for influencing the direction of projects. They make decisions, they have influence, but they aren't managers. And I kind of like that idea. The title, the title is kind of weird, but I like the idea. Hmm. That is interesting. Um, I feel like at the places I've worked, the technical lead role has has been a pretty even blend between uh tech actually tech leading like making technical decisions and mm-hmm. or, or not even making them but helping guide and and uh 
I guess this is getting some of my personal philosophy. I don't think the tech lead should make all the decisions, but they should help make sure the team is making decisions. Mm. Um, but it also blends some management stuff. Like it seems like um, the, the lower down the pyramid you go, the more okay it is to blend those things. But you probably don't want your CTO every day in the code base, just like cranking out commits. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless your CTO is the only engineer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which I guess happens. Actually, I'm the, I'm the CTO of my company. Lane Lane was the CTO of the company we worked at, and it was a fairly small company, and he was like coding the whole time. So yeah, yeah. it and does I mean, depend a lot on what you do. Yeah, so I was or what the say, size of your company at that size of company, like really the CTO. Like my role was just to do a little bit of meetings and write code. You know, mm-hmm. and it worked out really good for us. I, I think. I mean, I'm sure Jameson. Has- <laughs> Well, now I have to. Now I have to say it worked out. No, it was good. Um, It was. uh, And how many engineers were on your team at the time? uh, We had the company. I don't know. Was it ten to fifteen? I think fifteen was about as big as as we got. As many as we had, you know. And and I'll be honest, you know, when I I was a I was pretty young um, engineer when I was given that responsibility, and you know I was. I was excited about it because back then, you know, I thought, you know, titles meant career progression. And I've since learned, you know, personally, I don't find that to mean career progression anymore. I find, you know, shipping great products to be more Mm -hmm. of progressing myself as as an engineer. Um, But tell us about that mindset. Like, what was that like? Was it like leveling up a video game character or something? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. It was just like that. <laughs> um, no, I, I you know, think you're joking, but I think you're only partly joking. <laughs> yes, you're right. Only partly. No, um, <laughs> I, I think when anyone starts in a career, uh, you know, what a career means is probably a little bit different to some people. Uh, when, when I started my career as a software Hello? engineer, uh, I had a, a goal and that was to become a CTO. Like I thought that was a cool thing to do. Um, and I accomplished that. And I soon realized after that that there was so much else to do, you know, like I, I hadn't shipped a lot of great products at that time. And, you know, I feel more accomplished now, you know, shipping some great stuff than I did back then. So I don't know. Does that make sense? As a CTO. Say again? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I said, so you feel more accomplished now, not as a CTO. Yes. That's than you what I did saying. as a CTO. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So at some companies I've found that, oh, actually, you know what? Let's go into the uh, non-management titles now, shall we? Yeah. So like junior software engineer, senior software engineer, principal engineer, staff engineer, technical fellow. What does all that stuff mean? I was recently... Go ahead. You can go ahead, Jameson. I was going to say some of it is an attempt at some companies to make a path for advancement through purely technical means Mm. if you are just a great engineer but you don't um enjoy the the just massive amounts of of people stuff you deal with in management the idea is they still want to keep and reward and and expand the influence of those people so um some of it is like some of them will even be parallel pay tracks like there's a there's a one-to-one match between these technical roles and these management roles and they advance and pay similarly and I don't know. You're just responsible for maybe larger uh, technical decisions, larger in scope technical decisions as you okay. advance. What were you going to say, Lane? 
Uh, I was recently part of this conversation um, on the Slack channel, and it was a it was a big argument about what qualifies a senior engineer, and it all started from a <laughs> from a, a a recruiter email that said, um, "Let's see, what were the words? Oh, it was seeking Swift senior Swift developer, you know, with five years experience." Oh, that's the best. Okay, so so there's a couple <laughs> problems with this, right? So Swift has been around for just under two years, right? And and so the the big discussion was, well, you can't be a senior engineer in two years, right? And I thought, well, I don't know if that's true. You know, it really depends on what senior engineer means. And in my mind, you know, a senior engineer is somebody that you just you don't have to hold their hand. They can make decisions and they can ship stuff to production, right? Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It was it was a funny it was a funny uh, discussion. I think senior is separate from Swift. You could be a senior engineer and have two years of Swift experience, but uh, maybe they weren't asking for five years of Swift experience, just five years of experience. Yeah. Jameson, don't give the recruiter the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> that's true. That's not trendy. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I'm supposed to just rant about how yes. horrible recruiters are while simultaneously dropping these like humble brag hints about <laughs> how hot, how hard it is to just be bombarded by recruiter emails. Oh, my life is just horrible because I have to say no to all these people that want to hire me. Uh, I hate that. If you can't tell. Um, Agreed. I think senior is very vague. Absolutely. And it, to me, it implies... Um, maturity more than years of experience uh and i think i still do a lot of dumb things that maybe would not qualify as as senior engineer type things i think it it, it has to do a lot with your focus on delivering value maybe versus technical stuff like if you get bogged down into arguments over syntax or architecture at the expense of the product that seems like a thing a senior engineer wouldn't do, whereas a senior engineer would would be able to integrate. Like, yeah, there actually are technical differences, and some architectures are better for some problems than others. Sure. And here's how we will use those things to ship products instead of just like draw a line in the sand and and refuse or or not know about them either. Yeah, that one is really vague, and and it only gets more vague as you move up the chain of these other ones I listed, like principal engineer. What's the difference between a senior software engineer and a principal engineer? I don't know. Like, <laughs> and some companies will write these up, but what I have found is that most companies that have this big scale, uh, typically those labels are just there so that you can have a salary band where you fit in there, and 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 you get you tend to get promoted from one level to the next simply because you topped out on the salary band of the level you're in. Um, and that was my experience at my last company. And it, it was weird. It was like, well, you're now a principal engineer. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to go back to my desk now and do the exact same thing I did yesterday before I was a principal engineer. <laughs> but um, now I have a slightly bigger paycheck. Yeah, I've had the same experience in a company. Like we were talking about what my, you know, dis- negotiating salary. And then they gave me my title after that. After they figured out where your salary was, yep, because well, that's that, all that matters. That's a, that's case in point. I <laughs> yep. mean, that's so. I think if people are striving for that next big title, um, you might be disappointed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just 
You know, sometimes a title can mean something uh, like a job change, but usually that only happens when you go from the the sphere we just were talking about, like engineer, principal engineer, staff engineer. You leave that sphere and go to the other sphere of manager, director, VP, CTO. Then, except in the case of Lane at his la- at that last company, um, <laughs> then your job will materially change, and the things you do day to day will generally be different. In my experience, at yeah, at a certain scale of company, right. Um, I do want to talk more about team lead because to me that seems like the most interesting one because because of the mix. I feel like on most of the teams I've worked on, the team lead has been technical, yeah, um, but you're still responsible for the output of the team as a whole. Yeah. Where as a senior engineer, you're you're responsible to help your team, and and I think you should be like mentoring more junior people and contributing to architecture discussions and improving the product and the code and stuff. But as the team lead, like you, I think you are measured by the team yeah. instead of just by what you shipped or something. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. And so you, in other words, you have more responsibility put on your shoulders. Yeah, even if you're still coding most of the day, probably mm-hmm. the things that you are coding are are determined more by what the team overall needs than yeah. what what is interesting to you or however you assign tasks normally within a team to individuals. And, and even though we've been making fun of the fact that your title doesn't often change the way that you do your job, it does impact the way that your peers see you. Mm. And once you've been dubbed the team lead, suddenly you have a lot more influence over the team that you didn't have before. And your attitude can uh, be pervasive in the team. It can spread either positively or negatively. Um, and you know the way that you respond to management decisions in front of your team, it carries more weight and it tends to propagate away from you a little farther than if it was just you know Dave sitting in the corner being Mr. Individual Contributor. Now it's Dave the lead. Suddenly everyone starts listening yeah so it has that psychological effect your team carries more weight too because now they have to carry you around on those pallets <laughs> where they have the poles in the chair and then they put them on their shoulder jameson's <laughs> describing our daily ritual when i was his CTO. <laughs> just to make that clear <laughs> so your job materially changes because you're literally elevated <laughs> yeah i um, i love I what can... you said about oh go ahead Lane. oh i was gonna say i i what you said dave is totally true i I felt that when I became, you know, assumed the CTO role and personally, like I didn't like it very much because yeah, I had no desire to like be higher than anyone else. I just wanted to be mm-hmm. on the same level and I tried really hard to do that, but I still was treated slightly different by some people yep. and I did not like that. <laughs> me, really me neither. That is the hardest I part like of it. leadership, I think. Yep. It really is. Um. And there's a really, a lot of people really enjoy the individual contributor lead style role for that reason. Like I want to have influence, but I don't want to have the title and I don't want to have all the extra responsibility because I don't want to sacrifice my relationship with the team in this way. You know, I don't want them to see me differently. I don't want them to, to value my opinions more just because of my title. I want to just be part of the team. Yep. I, I think you said something really interesting earlier, Dave, about how your title can affect the distance to which your opinions propagate. Um, In in some ways, it sounds like that's, I think a lot of that is implicit just in in the culture. Um, Some people are respected, not that others aren't, I guess, but, but some people just kind of become identified as they're really good at this thing or they're really dependable in this way or something. And sometimes titles are a way to reflect that implicit uh, structure that arises, but 
sometimes they're an attempt to influence that structure as well. Like maybe there's someone who you want to elevate their opinion because mm -hmm. you think that they're talented, but maybe they don't speak up as much as they mm -hmm. should, or, or they're less inclined to like push their way into conversations. Yes. What do you think about that as um, using titles as a tool to explicitly shape the culture or the team instead of just like, oh, this person talks a lot and they're smart, so they're the team lead? Oh, no. Yeah. So that is that is absolutely a tool that I want to employ in my current role where I say, so-and-so on my team is excellent. I want more people to be like them. Well, what's one way that we can do that is we can assign them to be the lead of the team. And maybe it's not permanent and only if they want to do it, but that will have the effect of like um, causing people to uh, like, let's say pattern match from them a little more than if they were just a, you know, a team member without that title. Yeah. And that actually that can get into some of the unintended consequences of this too. Cause even if you don't decide I'm trying to make people be like this person, that, that might happen too. It will, so if, yeah. if you choose someone who uh, has values or, or habits or attitudes you don't want, then, then those yep. are going to influence your company yeah, maybe you pick, for the worse. Yep. You pick up the stick, you get both sides. And then the other side of this coin is that if someone is in a leadership position and they are being toxic or negative or harmful in some way, their toxicity has more amplitude than uh, if they were just uh, uh, without that title. And so um, you can make changes that way as well. Um, so works both ways. Yep. All right. Uh, I have one more thing to say about this. Hit me. So... On the subject of titles, I can't help but think about The Office, the TV show, where Dwight has the title assistant. Well, Dwight thinks he has the title assistant regional manager, <laughs> <laughs> but but the actual regional manager calls him the assistant to the regional manager. And I just think that's so funny. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because to Dwight, like it literally means everything, you know, yep. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like demeaning to him <laughs> to not be called yep. the right thing. Yep. Yeah, like two he, little words. He thinks it reflects who he is as a person, and I think a lot of people. Well, Lane, you. It sounds like you thought that too earlier, and and it's. Some people feel that way about salary too. Like these are things that reflect how valuable I am as a person. So they want to be more valuable, and they want more titles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I, I'm okay to admit that you know titles at one time were important to me, but you know, mm -hmm. as I matured as an engineer, they just became less and less important because I was finding fulfillment in other areas, such as seeing happy users, you know, writing really good sure. code. Like those are the things sure. that became more and more important. Um, and that's not to say that if you do currently value the title um, and you're, that's what you strive for, that, that that's necessarily bad because um, I think that can be a really important career management technique um, for a lot of people. Uh, and it really can help lend legitimacy to people who otherwise maybe are biased or have people biased against them for other reasons. Sure. Uh, maybe, maybe because of a lack of privilege or something, the title can help to offset that bias. And I think that's perfectly great. Yeah, yep. yeah Agreed. that's true. I, <clears throat> I was going to say the, the same thing. And um, I have other, one other thing that's pretty interesting um, as far as using titles as career progression. When um, you know, I left i.tv, and I started looking for another opportunity as a prior CTO. It was yeah. it was extremely complicated. Oh yeah, like I I was not prepared for that, and um, it, it was very hard for me to get my shoe in as as just a normal developer again. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, not much else to say about that, but it is a thing that happened to me, and so I thought it would be interesting to say. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That was really good to say. Anyway, I'm done. That's it. Question answered.
Dun dun. Stamp. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Lane, it's been so great having you on the show today. Yeah. If someone wants to get in touch with you or meet you, what's the best way for them to do that? Show um, up at his house at this address. <laughs> yes, Just kidding. There, no. Uh, actually, my preferred <laughs> communication is LinkedIn. If you... No, I'm just kidding. It's not that. <laughs> um <laughs> You can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Lane Mosley, uh, but I'm kind of a hermit. So you don't see me on there too often, but sometimes you do. Um, okay. You can find me there or my phone number. It, no, I'm just kidding. No, nope, not doing <laughs> <laughs> So right, tweet, tweet at me and then I will talk to Lane. On the phone. If you, you, uh, you if you tweet at me, <laughs> if you tweet at me though, I will respond and you will be happy. So... <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Jameson, where can people find more about Soft Skills Engineering, the podcast, the best they, podcast in the internet? The best podcast inside of the internet. Outside, there is no in the guarantee. Uh, they, it's probably the Twitter account. Yeah, just at Soft Skills ENG is where you can uh, follow us for updates about stuff about the show. You can tweet us questions that we will answer. And if you want to, you can also follow Dave and I. I'm Jurgison at Twitter. I'm DJ Smith 42 Yep. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Farewell, friends. Goodbye.